All right, I invite you to kneel with me so we go to the Lord in prayer. God, we do kneel before you today, we, to the best of our ability, bless your name. Thank you for this day. Thank you that you have brought us into this place, this house of worship, this house of prayer, this house of gratitude, this house of mission. God, I thank you that you are a good God. You are a great God. You're a God who speaks to us in our deepest point of need. Lord, we ask that you would do that today, and we ask all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Well, to start things off this morning, let's just acknowledge the obvious and say, how about them Houston Texans, folks? Okay, poor Cleveland in a beatdown yesterday. But I don't want to play Kansas City. That's a whole nother message. So glad that you uh, decided and chose to be here today. A second, especially if you're brand new uh, to church and here, welcome. So glad you decided to be here with us. You know, it's interesting when you look at society and cultures, there are different trends and movements that happens over the years. And back in the 1990s, there was a movement in the church throughout the United States and really throughout the world. It was called the Seeker Movement. And the Seeker Movement was all about trying to get churches and particular pastors and leaders to realize that we need to become, in a sense, missionaries in our own culture. And that we need to realize that people around us that we rub shoulders with every day at work, people who uh, we socialize with when we're working out and our friends and family, that many folks around us are seeking. They're seekers. So this movement was all about how do you help your church become more seeker sensitive, more aware of the fact that there are people seeking all around us. And I really like that movement. I think it was very helpful, uh, very helpful for the church in the United States. And I, I think that it, it got to a, um, a point. It, it was making a point, a valid point. And that is the point that we are all seekers. Just, just by the nature of being a human being, we are innately people who are seeking for something or seeking for someone. Some of us are seeking to find love. Others of us are seeking to find success. Others of us are seeking to find happiness. And some of us are just seeking for just a little peace and quiet. We're all seeking. That's simply who we are. And psychologists and philosophers have analyzed this through the decades. You know, you can look way back to the modern psychology, Sigmund Freud. And he said that we are all seekers and people are primarily seeking pleasure. Alfred Adler, another psychoanalyst, said, no, we're not primarily pleasure seekers. Our primary Source, our primary search is to find and have power. And then another uh, psychoanalyst came along by the name of Viktor Frankl, and Frankl said, no, our main 
search, our main seeking is not for pleasure, it's not for power, though that's a part of it, but our main search is a search for meaning. Not pleasure, not power, but purpose and meaning. And I think I agree with Frankel. We're searching to find meaning, a deep meaning, an ultimate meaning to base our life upon. Some of us here have heard of a record producer by the name of Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin uh, has lived every single part of the American dream. He, he is a iconic music producer. He's worked with folks like Run DMC and Metallica, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and even Johnny Cash. I mean, this guy, Rick Rubin, is, is renowned. He has, was listed in Times Magazine's 100 Most Influential People. He's worth around $300 million. He's made it. He's, he's taken the talents he's had and tried to make his way in life. And here's what Rick Rubin said when asked about his success. He said, it's really hard to get depressed until your dreams come true. He said, once your dreams come true and you realize you feel the same way you did before, then you get a feeling of hopelessness. Seeking. Rick Rubin, a success by any way you measure success. And yet he says by his own words, there's something still missing in his life. Now some of us when we're seeking, don't know what we're seeking for, right? We don't know why we're seeking what we're seeking. Others of us, and I would raise my hand and the others, are conscious of what we're seeking for and conscious when we miss it. And that's where we find our passage today. We're going to look at a story of a guy who was searching to find meaning. He was looking to find an ultimate sense of purpose. Or as the way we might phrase it today, he was trying to find his authentic self. Now, there are many ways we can look at this story. We can look at this story as a theologian. We can look at it as a marine biologist. Or we could look at it as more of a philosopher theologian. And that's what we're going to look at it today. So open, if you would, to the very back, if you would, of the Old Testament. And we're going to look at a few verses from the book of Jonah. Jonah. And believe it or not, there's a whole lot more to Jonah than a big blubbery whale. Okay, let's look at Jonah and his search for meaning and purpose. Jonah 1, verses 1 following. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. 
Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port and after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Jonah, if you would, was a church guy. Jonah knew who God was. Jonah knew that he could find ultimate meaning and purpose for his life if he followed and did what God told him to do. But Jonah didn't want to do it. He made a free choice, and with those choices came consequences. Jonah chose to do his own thing. Jonah chose to find his own way. Jonah chose to go on a trip. They didn't have Colorado or France or Europe back then. He went to Tarshish to try to find himself and to run away from the clear voice and purposes of God. And where did he end up? He ended up like many of us have, like I have before. He ended up in the wrong place, outside of God's will and purposes, surrounded by the wrong people, these sailors who didn't know anything, and the wrong purpose. His wrong purpose. He was running. That was his purpose. He was running from the only one that could give him that sense of identity, that sense of purpose and meaning. And he was running from the task that God had given him. Wrong place, wrong people, wrong purpose. He made a free choice to rebel against the God who knew him, to try to find himself. Choices. We all make choices every single day. You make choices, I make choices. Everyone makes choices, and our choices reflect the kind of person that we're seeking to become. Your choices, my choices, reflect the kind of person that we're seeking to become. It reflects what we value the most. Jonah tried to find himself through running to a different city. Jonah tried to find himself a new identity, a new way of life, a new way of doing things because he didn't want to do life God's way. He said what we hear a lot today. I am the captain of my own ship. I can stand on my own two feet. I am the master of my fates. I've got this. And he ran and he fled from the presence and the power and the purpose of God. I can create myself from scratch. I can define my own values, my own morals. I can create my own identity by myself. I am the center. 
Young Augustine felt the same way. Augustine sought to find meaning and purpose in his life through intellectual pursuits, and he was succeeding in Milan for many years. He tried to find himself through pleasure-seeking and through women, and he lived together with the lady for nine years. He tried to find more truth and Neoplatonism and Manichaeism and all these things until one day Augustine came to the end of himself and he turned his life back over to the God that he knew that his mom had prayed for him for many, many years and he wrote this iconic quote. He said, God, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And Augustine, this great pleasure seeker, power seeker, meaning seeker in the wrong things, became the most influential Christian in the history of the church. But he was restless until he found his way to the God who knew him and loved him. Jonah was restless. The sailors were restless. The seas were restless. If we could read the rest of Jonah's story. Because Jonah had gone his own way. Sometimes it's good to check yourself. There was a song put out many years ago. I don't know if Rick Rubin produced it or not, but it had a great catchy line. It said, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Okay, that's good. So many times we need to check ourselves. We we need to do a inventory of our choices, do a choice inventory. Look at the choices that you're making. You say, how do you do that? It's, it's pretty easy these days. I, I can look at my schedule, my calendar on my phone. I can look at how I'm spending my time. That, that's a reflection of my choices. I can look over there at this app, my bank, my money. How am I spending my money? Those choices. I, I can look and do a choice inventory. And I need to ask myself, and I encourage you to ask yourself, this question is this, is these choices that you're making, what kind of person are you becoming because of these choices? Because of that choice. Is that pushing the ball down the field for you? Is that moving you forward in your life, in your career, in your family, in your relationship? Do a choice inventory. God has given us this amazing thing called agency or free will. And we can choose as he enables to make choices that would honor him. Well, you know what happened in the story of Jonah? Jonah, you know, told these sailors the reason that we have hit this storm this, in the sea is because of me. So the weather started getting rough. The tiny ship was tossed. And the sailors threw 
Jonah overboard. And then he's swallowed by the whale. And he's in the whale for three days until he prays. I don't know. I'm praying before that. I'm praying as I'm going under the water. No, he waited three days. He prays. And then something happened. This is so, this is so great. As we're seeking and seeking and seeking. Listen to this. Look at Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 and 3. It said, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a, a second time. Though he was running, though he was trying to find himself, though he was a rebel without a cause, God still came to him a second time. Jonah, in case you missed that first text message, in, in case you miss it, let me resend it to you. Go to the great city of Nineveh, proclaim it, proclaim to it the message I give you. And Jonah obeyed the Lord and went to Nineveh. And you know what happened there? Jonah began to live out his purpose. Jonah began to find meaning and he found himself in the right place with the right people engaged in the right purpose. The right place was Nineveh, this massive cosmopolitan city. The right people, believe it or not, were the Ninevites. And when, the, when he preached that message of repentance, they turned to God. There was a revival. It's amazing. They began to discover their purpose, why God had placed them on the earth. Now, what's amazing about the book of Jonah, we don't have time to go there, this is kind of a sidebar, if you would, is that the whole book ends with a question. I think sometimes, you know, when we're trying to understand God or Christianity, the Bible, we think, man, the Bible, it's a book of answers. No, the Bible many times is a book of questions, questions, questions. The reason that most Nobel Prize winners were steeped in the Old Testament because it's a book of questions. The book of Jonah ends with a question. Because even though Jonah had experienced God's meaning, his purpose, his power, he still wasn't satisfied and God was questioning him. Yep, and that's how the book ends. So does Jonah engage a third time? Does the word of the Lord come to Jonah a third time? We don't know. We don't know. But here's what we do know. We do know the, the word of the Lord has come to all of us. We do know on a macro level, because we were all here during Christmas, that the word, the logos, the ultimate meaning that was in the beginning before there was a beginning has become flesh and entered into our reality. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and the Word became flesh. We've seen His glory from the Father, full of grace and truth. We have the Word of the Lord. 
on this macro level as the logos, the meaning, the reason has entered into our human situation. And then we have the word of the Lord. That's the gospel. That's the good news. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news about what God has done for us in Christ. In Christ, God has showed us what he is like. In Christ, God has showed us what and who you and I are to be like. We are be, to be like Christ. We are to follow in his ways. And the gospel shows us just how far we miss the mark of following and being like Christ. And then the gospel, the word of the Lord shows us what he has done to provide a way for us to solve the problem of this gap, this chasm between us and God. The gospel shows us God's great mercy and forgiveness and the depth of his love. The gospel shows us and we respond to the gospel and say yes to him that he can put us on a path in our life as an individual and we can begin to walk and to live in the purposes and the meaning of God. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the word of the Lord that revolutionized planet Earth and can revolutionize your life and my life as we begin to engage in the purposes and plan of God. You know, if you grew up around the church, whether it's a Catholic church or Presbyterian or Baptist, they, they like to have training for young people who are joining the church. They call them catechism. It kind of sounds spooky to me, Rob. Catechism. But in the Westminster Catechism, which is from the Presbyterian Church, the Reformed Church, the very first question they would ask folks is this one. What is the chief end of man? In other words, what is our purpose? What is our meaning? And the answer is man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's our purpose. That's why we're here, to know who God is, to honor him and glorify him in every aspect of our life and to enjoy him forever. That's why we're here. We don't have to run away from the purposes and plans of God. We don't have to try to go find ourselves by taking a trip or jumping on a ship or a plane or whatever. We can simply present ourselves before the God who is everywhere present and say, God, here I am. This is me. Warts and all, sins and all, doubts and all, faults and all. God, this is me. Here I am. I present myself before you, Lord God. And I ask for your grace. I ask for your forgiveness. I ask God that I would begin to walk and to live out your purposes and plans for my life. As Kierkegaard said, now I can become the self, the person, that God's created me to be.
We're all seekers. One of the great seekers was a French mathematician, physicist, inventor, philosopher, who laid the foundation that would later become our modern day computers. But after all of his contributions to mathematics and to science, he turned to philosophy and Blaise Pascal coined these iconic words. He said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing but only by God, the creator made known through Jesus. As you're seeking, remember, there's also a God that is seeking you. And only this God who made you can give ultimate meaning and purpose to your heart and life.